God, my simple prayer is um, that you would come. Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would open our hearts, that whatever you may want to speak to us through this message this morning um, would stick, and uh, anything else, uh, that it would just fall away. Um, Yeah, I think that is enough. Just open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I touched on a story of Jesus and his disciples in Mark chapter 4, where, where they are on a boat, and this massive storm hits them out of nowhere. And, and I had so much that I wanted to share from that story that morning, um, so I thought I would you know, split it in two and come back this morning, although I know some of you would have loved a 90-minute message uh, two weeks ago, so... So today, it's only a 60-minute message, right? No. Just kidding. We wouldn't do that to you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So let's, uh, let's start by looking at the text. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. It says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat. They started out, leaving the crowds behind, and although other boats followed... But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, let's read these last two slides out loud together here. Verse 39 Uh, There we go. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, peace, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. (laughs) Good job. Nicely done. That was well done. Good job. Even without the teens, we had a little bit of enthusiasm, I think. Well, it says here in the story, right? Imagine this. A fierce storm came up, swamping the boat. They wake up Jesus. He says, peace, be still. And suddenly there's a great calm. Matthew chapter 8 actually repeats, tells this same story, different point of view. And in verse 26 of the Matthew account, I like how Jesus' reaction is recorded in the King James Version. Um, Let's see if I can get my King James voice on. Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? I mean, that's kind of how I... Getting there? Yeah? Thank you, thank you. O ye of little faith. Um, We were actually talking about this story... uh, um, in our small group, our incredible small group, we were talking about this story in scripture from the sermon a couple weeks ago, and it prompted our fearless small group leader, Andy Carey, to, to tell all of us about he really relates in this story. He really relates with Jesus, actually, in this story. Uh, and, and just to confirm, I actually asked him to recap the story via text a couple days ago to make sure I had the details right. And so I actually have the, the text thread screenshot. So there's right there is proof of the... The story, this is uh, Andy giving testament to it. So I will read from this. Andy, on the text anyway, because I sent it to he and D, he said, well, I will tell it from the correct perspective. So, (laughs) typical husband, right? 
Um, he said, so you see, there have been occasions that I may have nodded off while behind the wheel driving my family on road trips, similar to Christ sleeping on the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Did you like that part, how Andy relates to Jesus there? Then he says, uh, this has led to Deanne, that's his wife, and other passengers experiencing fear and terror, and subsequently having them wake me from my slumber. Like, like that's a problem, right? Okay, so... Then he says, and in perhaps my most Christ-like action, I quickly calm the storm and restore my vehicle back to the proper lane. (laughs) I love how he's connecting the dots here. This is good, right? Uh, And then he writes, and there have been unconfirmed claims that I have even reprimanded them for yelling at me to wake up with a, oh, ye of little faith. Yeah, so... A little more to the story, but but the fun part is, you see on the bottom there, Deanne uh, wrote... I'll allow that version to stand. So she concurred. So there you are, folks. Uh, See the fun you're missing out on if you're not in a small group? Um, And by the way, he's one of our elders, so that might make you nervous about our church. But but now in this story here, right, in Mark 4, it's this beautiful picture um, to our response to storms and that maybe Jesus kind of, oh, ye of little faith, might uh, Ply, and we'll get to that later because I don't think he's necessarily scolding them. But this Mark 4 story is this picture of, of the storms of life that I think we encounter as well. I think there's some parallels. And I think this storm is an invitation for us to ask, how do we and how do I respond when a storm hits? And two weeks ago, again, we looked at some of the responses that we are prone to. We actually used a painting by Rembrandt um, where he painted this scene, Christ in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And, and we noted that when the storms of life hit, we often respond with things like anger or fear or terror or confusion, resignation. We might get sick. We might scramble to get busy and do something. Um, we can blame God as a response. And in blaming God, I think sometimes we can ask the same question that sounds like what the disciples asked right there. Uh, Jesus, they said, Jesus, don't you care? (laughs) Don't you care that we're about to drown? And I think the honesty in that story just shows us that we rarely, maybe it even normalizes it for us, that you know we rarely approach the storms of life with an adequate um, grip of grace. See, when a storm comes, though, it can remind us of our inability to solve it by ourselves. Uh, These storms can actually be a good reminder of our need for Jesus, day by day, moment by moment, storm by storm. And again, I was really struck by the one character in the painting who seemed to be focused on Jesus. Get that close up there. Is that happening, Heidi? Right there, so a little close-up. See the guy to the left of Jesus. He seems to be focused on Jesus, praying or worshiping in the middle of the storm. And again, I've just been struck by that image because when I, I know that when I shift my eyes from the storm um, and, and, and the storm-induced panic that everybody else is in the middle of, when I shift my eyes from that panic to Jesus, often I find myself undone by this Jesus who reveals himself as being greater than my fears. And what that does is it actually helps to free me from my fears. Uh, It releases me to begin to risk 
living a beautiful life of love for others, especially when they are experiencing a storm. And I wish that was what I did more of the time. <laughs> um, because honestly, I have to admit that, that often, very often, rather than living into that kind of trusting Jesus posture, way too often I look back at storms I've gone through and I realize that I've ignored Jesus in the storm until I've exhausted all my own abilities. And then like the disciples, I am saying, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? So I'm accusing him of having not cared about us. And I just want to admit that I have to fight that perspective um, when a storm hits. I have to actively fight that perspective of going, well, Jesus, where are you? Don't you care? And by the way, I just appreciate so much about how uh, we can be honest about, about the Bible, about stories in Scripture. Um, I think the Bible's very honest uh, and not trying to sugarcoat things, even though we sometimes try to sugarcoat the Bible, um, because it, it lets us be real about the, the, the reality, the actual life of the characters in the Bible, which I think helps us be real about our own lives. Um, we don't need to sugarcoat. We don't need to over-spiritualize stuff. We can wrestle with the real deal, and we do that here at Hope. And I'm really grateful that, for that, because it reminds me that the truth is life is hard. Life is hard. There are no formulas. There's no quick fix. And so when stuff happens in life, not if, but when stuff happens, when you and I are in the middle of a storm, um, we can grapple through and not have to just use cliches. And I think this is so important to not to revert to some of those Christian cliches because it betrays, I think, some misunderstandings about the character of God. Too often, it's, it's easy in the middle of a storm to think, oh man, God is punishing me. <laughs> or he's punishing that person. It's easier when it's somebody else's storm. Well, God is punishing them <laughs> for that, right? God is mad at them. Um, and when stuff hits the fan... Um, another thing that a cliche, I think, is, is we think, well, God is the one who did this to me. Oh, God did this. He has a plan. He has a plan. He did this to me. After all, God is sovereign, so it must have been his plan. And, and let's, for a second, I just want to take a moment and go, friends, th that can be one of the most harmful and dangerous assumptions made by Christians. That, that whatever happened was God's plan, and too often it is reinforced by very popular bad theology and cliches that we like to throw out. And again, we're well-meaning, nobody's trying to do it to be evil. But I think just to even rewind on that idea that somehow it was God's plan or God's doing, that God is to blame for what we're going through, actually I think most of the time when a storm hits, um, whether we know why it hits or not, or we think we know why it hits or not, I think oftentimes it's just life. Like, life happens. We live in a fallen world. Life happens. Ever since Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve chose to sin and our world plunged into brokenness, we live in a fallen world. So God did not design this world for what we have, for death, for brokenness, for pain, for tragedy. That was not God's plan and so when that happens in our lives, that's not his doing. God doesn't bring evil or punishment on his 
children. And again, we can look at New Testament scriptures that talk about that. But, 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 but just suffice to say, I think it's important to say that, that, that Jesus doesn't create calamities to, you know, teach us some kind of lesson in his plan. What's cool, though, is that Jesus looks at everything that happens and he will employ what already exists, the tragedy that's there, he will find a way to mature us into who we're designed to become, to grow us. So when we think about storms of life and what hand does God have in the storms in our life, there's not one thing, because we do, eh? We live in a fallen world, so sometimes it's our fallen world. Sometimes, um, and we talk about this in, in previous sermons, sometimes it's the enemy, because there's an enemy in your story, and the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, according to Jesus. So sometimes those storms are influenced by the enemy. Uh, other times... A storm comes because there are consequences to our actions, and so the storm was not God going, oh, here we go. No, there's just consequences to the things that we've done or to the things that someone else has done when they do harmful stuff, and it lands on us, and we find ourselves in a storm. But again, whenever, whenever chaos or storms come, often it's just a part of life. It's not God doing it to us, and and some of us, and myself in particular, I know that we've wasted a lot of time and emotion in the past by, by blaming God or wondering, did God bring this on me to teach me a lesson? Oh, God, please show me the lesson I'm supposed to learn that you're bringing this calamity on me for. But if he did cause, you know, the calamity, if he did cause and plan out, it was his plan, uh, if he planned my divorce or your kid's illness, or your dysfunctional family mess, or the abuse that you suffered, or the lies and betrayal, if that was God's sovereign plan, then what kind of God is he anyway? And I can't get too much more deeply into that with the time we have this morning, but just for a second, I want to unpack that lie, because it's very common when a storm hits to believe the lie that somehow God is responsible to blame um, it's his doing because most of the time it is not. See, I just want to say it this way. God didn't cause the evil and the devastation and the death in your story. That's not his plan or desire for your life. Now, there is good news. And I don't want to leave out the good news because the good news is that God will bring good out of everything. The Apostle Paul tells us, and he, he was somebody who went through lots of storms. He was even literally shipwrecked several times, but he wrote, Romans chapter 8, he wrote a verse many of us know so well, Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good, works it toward the good. It doesn't say here that God causes all things, does it? But in all things, He'll find a way to work it for good. Keeps working it towards some kind of good. So the Apostle Paul could write that. With all the mess in his life, all the shipwrecks he experienced, all the stuff he endured, he wrote that we can be confident that God was indeed working in all of the chaos for good. And he does it for you and he does it for me as well. And Hope Family, this just means... <laughs> That there is nothing too dark or painful 
that God can't find a way to bring goodness and restoration. Nothing that happens surprises God, right? But he doesn't cause the destruction that we encounter. Again, sometimes it's the enemy's doing, which is very scriptural, but, but I just even pause on that and go, how nuts is it that sometimes Christians attribute things, destruction brought by the enemy into our story, we go, well, that was God's plan. Eesh, right? Again, we have to be so careful with that stuff, especially when we say it to someone else. One of our wonderful uh, folks um, um, brought a meal to one of our families who had lost a loved one, and um, something that she said was so powerful, it really stuck with them. Um, she said, I just pray that people don't say stupid stuff to you about why this happened. What a great prayer, right? Because we say stuff and it <sighs> attributes it to God. That, that stuff's not God's plan. It's not his will. Those evil things are often the work of the enemy or the fallen world. Um, but most of the time, it's just life in a fallen world that we live in. Our world is not yet completely restored, and so storms can come from all kinds of places, but rarely, especially if death or destruction or evil is involved, those things aren't from God. It's not a storm that he brings. So, with that in mind, let's look back at this Mark 4 story here and, and just kind of imagine the context. Imagine the context. Um, if we read from the beginning of the chapter, we, we find out what kind of day Jesus has had. He's actually had a pretty full day here. Right before this evening storm, he had a doozy of a day. There were healings. There were people everywhere that he was teaching. There was family dysfunction. There were crowds. So at the end of that long, long day, Jesus is completely whooped. He is exhausted. And remember, he's fully God, but he's fully man as well. And as fully human, he is able to feel that bone-weary fatigue. You know that kind of fatigue after a long day where we're just like, oh, man, Whew, I just need to get away from everybody and close my eyes. I'm so exhausted. You ever had that kind of day? And just imagine the scene then after this long day, the disciples get Jesus into the boat. There's this cushion. There's maybe some kind of sheltered overhang near the hull where they have tucked him under. And with the waves lapping against the boat, I imagine Jesus just, bang, just goes to sleep. And they continue their journey across this Sea of Galilee, which is more like a lake. And they find themselves in the middle of the lake. And I imagine at some point then they hear a sound. Uh-oh. <laughs> a low rumble. Perhaps it was from the west where Mount Hermon is, and they would have all turned their heads and looked because they would have all known exactly what that sound meant. That meant a storm off in the distance was quickly coming towards them. Now, Again, the Sea of Galilee is what we call it, but it was more like a large lake. Imagine it's 13 miles wide. It's seven miles across, uh, but it's 150 feet deep. 
And what makes the Sea of Galilee so unusual and sometimes dangerous is that it is actually about 700 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by mountains. So here's a little meteorology here. Um, If you get warm air over the lake, which is 700 feet above sea level, or below, um, you get that warm air there, and then you get this cold air that comes from the tops of the mountains, and it comes down into the lake, and when that cold air and the warm air mix, what happens? Right, you get a storm, you get a storm, and these storms can actually develop in minutes, and a sudden storm on the Sea of Galilee is no small thing. It comes rushing over the lake, and we're talking explosive, deadly, destructive power. Now, in the timeline of this story, remember that this is early in their ministry as disciples with Jesus. Like these disciples, they know, wow, he's something special, right? <laughs> They've seen some impressive things. They probably even have started to love him at this point, but they don't quite know who he is yet. So he's just a, an amazing rabbi, an incredible teacher, and he's been a great carpenter. Um, That's Jesus, and some of these guys, like they're, hey, we're fishermen, right? Some of them are fishermen, so those that are fishermen are actually professional boatsmen. They know what to do on the water, right? Jesus is a carpenter. They are the fishermen. This is actually their territory. There's a storm. They know what to do. We got this one, Jesus. (laughs) This is our territory. You just go ahead and sleep. So, again, even if Jesus is the Messiah, they would probably be like, well, he's the Messiah, but this is not his strength, Or so they think. And then, verse 37 says, that storm, that rumble, would have become a furious squall. Happens suddenly. And isn't that the way that life is? Just suddenly. One moment you're doing fine, and the next moment the bottom just falls out. (laughs) One phone call, and you find yourself suddenly in the middle of a storm, One doctor's visit, and suddenly you are in a storm. One conversation, and suddenly you're in a storm. And in the storm that they find themselves in, just picture the story with the disciples. By now it's nighttime. And, And as the storm races down the mountain, they see it coming. It starts over the water. And the moonlight probably showed it on the way, and they would hear first the waves start to increase. The waves would start to hit wave after wave after stronger wave. It gets louder. This huge storm is coming from Mount Hermon, and suddenly they can see like sheets of water moving towards them. And and they start to feel these hurricane-force winds, and they know that as soon as it gets to them, everything is going to go pitch Black. It's probably at this point that the shouting began, <laughs> right? Hey, come on, hey, come on, come on, we got to get things buckled down, we got to point her in the right direction. I bet you didn't know the disciples were pirates, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Arr, yeah. And then on top of all that crazy tension and yelling, I'm guessing probably since they're human, the blame started, right? Would you let go of the rope? Did you lash the mast? Don't you know how to steer? Come on, man, do something. So I imagine they're probably yelling. They're trying to turn into the wind to try to stabilize the boat, but, but they know. They know the boat is going to go down. 
And every single one of them knows we will all be lost at sea very quickly. And just to pause at this point of the story for a moment, interesting, right? It's only when things get really bad, like that they're about to sink, before anybody at all thinks, huh, I wonder if we need to wake up Jesus and let him know what's going on. Like, you know, like, well, the Son of God is on the boat, the Messiah. I wonder if we want to, might, you know, maybe take a moment and, uh, you know, chat with him. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem to occur to them until that moment when the ship's going to go down. They're like, it's for certain that we've done everything we can, and it's going down. But then they wake him up. They shake him, yelling, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And I love in the the Rembrandt painting, it it looks like Jesus is just kind of calmly sitting there. There's a little zoom in here. Just kind of calmly sitting there. Look at him. He's he's almost chatty, right? (laughs) Uh, Our friend John Lynch, he he says, I can imagine Jesus waking up and and saying, Woo, man, I was out cold. Oh, check this out. What do we have here? Wow, that is one massive lightning show. Wow, check out this storm. Oh, oh, hey there. Hey there, Peter. How's your mom? I, I got the healer earlier today, but you know, we didn't get a chance to check in and chat much afterwards. And then he's like, dude, dude, what are you what are you pulling on my cloak for? What's what's the deal? What are you hey, what? And I think you might be right. I can see Jesus not exactly in a hurry to do anything, right? And maybe that's when somebody like, starts shouting at Jesus. Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? Don't you care what we're going through? And we need your help. Help! Jesus, help! Isn't it interesting? Lynch again, he says, he says it this way. We ignore him in the storm till we've exhausted our ability our options, our ideas. (laughs) And then we accuse him of not having cared about us. Anybody else other than me? Okay, just a few of us. I don't know when the last time we preached online was. Do we we have a... (laughs) But honestly, in my own shipwrecks, reflecting on this here, the sad question I catch myself going to far too often is kind of like, Jesus, do you even care? I know you're able. I've seen you do it for others. I've seen you do it in history. I know you are able. So if you're able and you don't, then, then what? Do you just not care? Is that my only other option? And when I get into that way of thinking or that spiral, the truth is I start to feel alone again. I start believing the lie that there is no one to protect me, no one willing or able to protect me. And so now i got to protect myself in this storm. And those are the kinds of lies that we believe right before we start drowning again in our own self-reliance, our own false self-strategies, our own self-protection. And when we give in to that, we are surrendering our hearts. We're surrendering our hearts to fear. That's the cost of moving to that, Jesus, don't you care (laughs) that we're about to go down? See, just notice, there's something very different in us 
Um, when we lean into love, it looks one way. But something very different happens when we give in to fear. Right? When I lean into love, then I do. I believe that Jesus is strong enough and steadfast enough and big enough and brave enough and wise enough and kind enough and powerful enough to protect me by whatever means he chooses to in the storm. And then I am safe from fear, even in the storm, because love drives out fear. But honestly, very quickly, when I go the other way, when I give in to believing these well-rehearsed lines of fear that are lies... When I give in to believing those lies, then all that nasty stuff just comes at me again. See, when I give in to fear, which honestly happens way, way more than I wish it did, even after decades of following Jesus, but in fear, I start living out this story that, well, it's fine, you know, God doesn't really want the best for you. He doesn't really understand what's happening to me and what this is doing to me. He kind of seems indifferent to what I'm going through. And is God really actually furthest away when I need him most? So in fear, I think God somehow has forgotten about me or worse, is unable to help me. And then I'm the one shouting, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? Let's go back to the story here. Just imagine with me where we left off the the scene of the storm, the sounds that are near deafening. There's a howling, the howling of rain and the howling of men, desperate screams. There's wind and shouting and terror. There is so much chaos and the moon is now hidden by the clouds. Nobody can see anything. It is pitch dark. It is Only the lightning flashes that show anything that's going on and give you a clue at all where to hang on to and what to grab on to because it is that dark. And, And then suddenly, when everyone has exhausted their efforts and self reliance, they realize this is not gonna work. After that, and after one of them actually has yelled at Jesus, and then three, two, one. Silence. Be still. And at that moment, in those three words, there was silence. Like like flipping a light switch, the storm, bang, stops. The rain stops. The wind stops. The clouds break. The waves cease. And now the moonlight can be seen, and and now we can look around the boat. (laughs) And just imagine, picture the moon showing the disciples now. On the boat, we see what was in the dark, and now the moonlight shows these disciples probably strewn all over the deck, right? Some are hanging on to the mast. Others are gripping ripped sails. Others are holding on to ropes and rigging. There's one guy probably in a fetal position sucking his thumb. You know, that's me. That's... That's what it looks like. And then the only sounds I imagine were the whimpering and panting of men and the dripping of water off of the sails. And there stands Jesus, 
Imagine the silhouette, the, the moon behind him, and for a few moments, perhaps, a few moments, maybe nothing was said at first. And then, verse 40, he asked them, why are you afraid? You still have no faith. See, I don't think he's mad. I don't think he's mad here. I think at least in part what he is saying is, ah, you guys, you still don't actually know who I really am yet, do you? Like you watched all these miracles today even. But I know, I know, and it's okay. You don't have actual mature faith and trust in me quite yet. I mean, you've tried to look like you got it all together, but you're so afraid. You haven't ever seen anything like me or anything like this. Verse 41, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Which part of what I think is crazy about this verse is that after the storm had stopped, remember they had been afraid in the storm, and then the storm stops, and now they're safe after hearing the words and seeing the power of Jesus on display. The storm has stopped, but then they become absolutely terrified. But I think in time, they grew in faith, in trust, and in love. They, 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 they learned about this God, this Jesus, who is actually love incarnate. And I believe that's what Jesus offers you and me as well. Listen, we miss it all the time. We, we forget who he really is. So when we run to fear instead of faith and trust, God's not mad. He's not mad. In time... He invites us to trust him more and more, which changes our hearts more and more. And while I don't know that we'll ever get it 100% hardcore trust in Jesus, never doubt. And I don't know that I believe anybody who says that they're at that place. <laughs> but we're invited more of the time to begin to lean into love when we feel pulled toward fear. You know, when I read that, verse about being terrified. They were terrified. I think we can wonder, what's it mean to be terrified around Jesus? And I think that can cause for some of us maybe some confusion about how it is that God wants us to respond to him. And we could actually keep running to fear. Now we're just afraid of God instead. Maybe we even think through this verse and some other scriptures, maybe we misinterpret and think that God actually wants us to live afraid of him. But friends, here's the truth that we find all over scripture, that God does not want you to feel threatened around him. God does not want you to feel unsafe around him. God does not want you to be falsely religious around him. God does not want you to be cautious to approach him. God does not want you to cover yourself around him. God does not want you to wear a mask around him. God does not want you to pretend out of fear of his response to the real you. No, God only wants that you would trust him with the real you. Lynch, again, 
Just so many good things I've learned from John about this. He said, for us to be truly safe in his love, we must first be undone at how small we have made him and then experience him in his endless strength, power, glory, and love. So to experience God in his love, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? See, what, what's, what's the opposite of love? It's, it's not hate, but what's the opposite of love? It's, anyone know? Fear. Fear is the opposite of love. First John 4, 1.18 says, there is no, let's read this together. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And I think that the inverse of that is true as well. Love drives out fear, but when we enter into fear, I think that oftentimes fear has the power to crowd out love as well. So we live in one or the other a lot. And I believe that any storm that I've been through, ultimately there's a battle between fear and love. See, there's a fear that makes me want to run away, but then there's this love that compels me to run toward There's a fear that immobilizes me, but there's a love that protects me. There's a fear that makes me want to hide, and there's a love which lets me reveal all my hiding. There's there's a fear that, that causes me to live small, and there's a love that calls me to risk everything. There's a fear that makes me cowardly, and there is a love that reveals me as brave and courageous because of who he says that we are. We are children of God. See, there's a manipulative religious fear that terrifies us of God, but there is a love that ends our fear and causes us to never want to be anywhere than with God. And the only thing that can take away my fears is to experience the love of the one who is greater than all my fears. Worship team, will you, will you come? You know, looking back at that Rembrandt painting, um, there's another character that kind of resonates with me. I mentioned this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but most of the time I'm the guy scrambling around trying to fix it. Um, But sometimes I'm the guy that's got his back. I wish I'd have blown this one up a little closer. He's got his back in the middle of the center of the boat. He's got his back to Jesus, looking the other way. He's kind of looking away from Jesus, eyes off of Jesus. And I know that sometimes in my life, Um, Sometimes I'm the guy that's sitting there and I'm staring at the storm. My back is to Jesus. I'm just staring at the storm. I've got my focus on the storm, on the problem. Jesus is right there and I turn my focus to that place. And that's when I get into that fear place. Like, God, I thought you cared. I thought you loved us. Where, Where are your promises? Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you warn us? And the problem, again, with going there is that fear will immobilize us and overwhelm us. See, because then when the storm does hit, my back is to Jesus. I can't see anything. I can't do anything. But then, here's such good news. At any point, you and I 
even if our backs bend to Jesus or we're scrambling to fix it at any point, we can cry out to Jesus, Jesus, help, help. And he's right there. He's right there. In fact, he's been there all along. See, and in our stories of our own lives, Jesus is not napping. (laughs) He's not asleep. He's right there, right here. See, he's with us, friends. He is for us. And in the storms of life, we are never alone. We are never alone. Part of how God has used this story in Mark 4 so many times and used that Rembrandt painting um, is to remind me when I'm the guy with my back toward Jesus that, that he's inviting me, he's inviting you. When we have our backs to Jesus and we're focused on the storm, he invites us as he has done to me these last few weeks. And the invitation sounds something like this. Doug, will you, will you turn around <laughs> and look at me? We just, the storm's real, but just focus on me because when your eyes are on me, Doug, I'm going to help you sort it out and help you sort it out. Um, Doug, how about you trade the fear that you're focused on? What, do you, what if you trade that for living loved? And when I realize that's what's going on, that I've got my back to Jesus and there's this invitation to turn, you know, I say, ah, yes, yes, Lord. Because I'm not as dumb as I look, okay? <laughs> yes, Lord. And when I do that, I find that more and more of the time, I start to feel lighter, freer. And even though there are still hurdles to clear, places to grow, and we don't have it all figured out yet, we are invited in our storms to keep our eyes on Jesus, following Jesus, knowing he's with us. And so friends, no matter what storm you face, We're invited to live in the love of Jesus who is present in every storm. He is present in every fear. So what storm are you facing? And where are you maybe experiencing fear in the storms of your life right now? What will it look like to trade that living in fear to leaning into love? Just take a moment with those questions, maybe even bring them with you. What's the storm? Where's the fear? What will it look like to trade living in fear for leaning into love? Jesus, you are real. You are with us. You are here in the storms of our life. Thank you that you have grace for us that even when we react and respond in ways that we wish we wouldn't, you 
just love us as we are. I pray this week that you would give my brothers and sisters all that they need, all that they need to walk in your goodness, in your love, and to realize that above all the storm, you have a blessing for us, that you invite us into life and life to 